It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust, here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast, the show that tries to answer the question, just what the heck is going on in the media, entertainment, and technology worlds. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, better known to most of you as PCNerd37, and on the other end of Skype is my trusty co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Um, it could be going better, but <laughs> I'm pushing through. Yeah, it, it always tends to get that way when major holidays approach. It's a very stressful time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, me and my family have kind of been at each other's throat for the past several days, all pretty much revolving around Thanksgiving. One of the reasons I hate major holidays. Yeah, well, we're working things out on my side. Hopefully, uh, we'll have everything cooked by other people. <laughs> things go according to plan, and it'll just be, hopefully, no hassle, no no must, no fuss Thanksgiving. See, that's what I want to do. I, I just wanted to go to, a, like, a local buffet or something like that for Thanksgiving. And all of a sudden, everybody else is like, oh, we're going out of town to an aunt's house. It's like, uh, I didn't want to do that. Why did you commit me to doing that without even asking me? So, yeah, it, it's been a tad on the crazy side. And I'm less than thrilled, but I guess I'll live with it. Such is the holidays, I guess. Yep. Say la vie. Yeah, hopefully Christmas is better than Thanksgiving. Uh, usually always is. At least you get gifts then. With Thanksgiving, you just get food. Um, well, also you have New Year's around the corner from Christmas, which is also makes it doubly good. I never have anything really to do with New Year's. Usually my New Year's, I always sit at my computer playing a game of some kind. I like to bring in the New Year playing games. <laughs> awesome. That's just the way I've done it for I don't know how many years now. Well, you leave the year the way you found. Um, you leave the year. You start the year the way you leave it with playing games. Yep, that's the way I prefer to do it. Anyway, we definitely have a full show again this week. Um, no guests. Actually, I haven't. Actually, I haven't bothered to invite guests in a while. I need to do something about that. I need to see about getting this some guests on here. But anyway, everybody, of course, can follow along in the show notes at globalgeeknews.com, which you can find all kinds of other interesting content floating around over there. Mm, excuse me. Everything from... I posted something that was just a sale that was just Sunday. If you get Age of Empires 3 for $0.10, cents, I, that was a deal I just couldn't pass up. I've already got like two, cop, two or three copies of Age of Empires 3, but for $0.10, cents, I couldn't pass it up. But, yeah, um, all kinds of stuff going on over at globalgeeknews.com. How to get 768 megabytes of free Dropbox space. Do you use Dropbox at all? Uh, no, I don't. 
fantastic service. I I absolutely love it for having files synced between all my computers, plus they're synced up to the cloud in case of I'm ever not at my computer. And I think there's mobile apps, so you can get them like on your iPhone, your Android phone, or whatever. You can get to all your files, and it it's a nice little service. I think there's even versioning support for it, so that way you can always go back and get an old copy of a file and makes it really easy to share large number of files and large file sizes with people. Right. You, can, you can get like two gigabytes for free. You can get um, some extra space. I think it's like an extra 500 meg if you sign up with a .edu address. You can and like with this um, how to get an extra 768 megs. It's basically by connecting like your Facebook account, your Twitter account to it and promoting the service. And whenever you get somebody to sign up, then you automatically get like an extra 256 megs of storage or whatever. And of course, they have a um, higher level pro account, so you can get like 50 gigs or 100 gigs or whatever if the two gigs isn't enough for you. But it's a fantastic service. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things that got posted uh, just this afternoon, actually. And of course, there's a funny video of a kid getting elbowed in the head by his dad while playing on the Kinect. I've seen that one, yeah. Yeah, and then of course there was the Tips of the Week, which has everything for how to customize OS ten icons to how to maximize um, your battery life on Windows 7. Actually, I posted a couple of videos, uh, a couple of Techzilla videos in the past week on Global Geek News for how to maximize your battery life on Windows 7 and how to figure out why your PC is booting so slowly and what you can do to fix it. Both awesome tips, and and there's a, like 40 other tips in the tips of the week, so it's definitely worth checking out if you want to like maybe create your own customized URL shortener service or convert an NES controller to USB or do custom image cropping on Windows Phone 7. I mean, there, how to hack, there's how to hack your Connect, all kinds of stuff in there. Definitely worth checking out. Um, one of the stories that I did want to mention from globalgeeknews.com just quickly is the fact that there's going to be shortages for the Microsoft Connect and the Sony Move through the holidays. Apparently they're still selling so well that GameStop is expecting shortages and, ex- and are expecting people to go stocking the GPS shipment or the UPS shipments for when these things come in like they had when the Wii came out. Definitely seems to be quite a bit of hype around those. Yeah, it's the media darling. Um, uh, hardcore gamers, of course, I've seen and poo-pooed it, but uh, every time I hear about it on the news, I mean, it's talked about positively. Yeah, if you if you got the room for it, I mean, you have to have like eight, ten feet of free space or whatever for it, and if you have that, I'm sure it's probably okay. Uh, from what I'm told, the lag has been reduced significantly since when I got to try it out, so maybe it's not too bad after all. But, oh, and one other thing, I also posted the list of senators that voted to unanimously approve the Internet Blacklist Bill. So if you're curious who those 19 senators are, you can check that out, and now you know who to vote out come election time. But anyway, of course, there's that and much, much more over at globalgeeknews.com. And we'll go ahead and get right into our stories this week, starting with Verizon is bringing out or it's upgrading its existing Fios customers to 150 megabits down and 35 megabit up internet. 
Yeah, they're rolling it out to all their markets, all 12 states, um, but it's available to some uh, right now for the low, low price of $195. Yeah, I don't like that price, but I want those speeds. Yeah, I hope that the speed comes with lower latency also. Um, I, I, I'm, I don't know how, how, uh, how bad it is on Fios. Um, I'm guessing it's going to be decent. But um, latency is something that people don't publish and talk about much uh, when they talk about broadband, but it can be very crucial um, at, depending on what you're using it for. Yeah, if you're like me, when you're a gamer, latency is absolutely critical. And from what I've heard, latency on Fios has always been really good from what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so it's some hardcore pit people, but for $195—that's uh, getting close to business costs, and uh, but cheaper than a business line. So I wonder how many businesses will just get this um, and split, maybe several with an office building. I mean, several within different suites in an office building, or maybe uh, it'd be nice if hotels got on this because every time I go to a hotel, uh, it is slow. I just wish they had something like this around here to give Comcast a little bit of competition. I mean, I'm paying we're paying out the nose for Comcast and their relatively slow speeds. I mean, I think we've got, I don't know, it's either 12 or 16 megabits down or whatever. I mean, that's so you're talking, what, maybe a tenth the speed of what Verizon customers are getting? And I, I think there's like a 100 megabit tier, at least a 50 megabit tier with Comcast if you pay like 120 a month or something insane like that but yeah it's unfortunate the unfortunate that uh, Verizon has halted rollout of Fios indefinitely so uh, whoever has it now might be the only people who will have it in the future I completely missed that story I, I went and looked into that and apparently that was a story from back in March and somewhere along the line I completely missed that story cuz I didn't have a clue that was the case yeah, I remember reading that around the time of the Google announcement of I, I never heard who was getting that one gigabit uh, internet connection. I, um, I think they're still accepting applicants through the end of the year, I believe. Yeah, but I remember that was around that time when uh, that was going on that I heard about files stopping. The hmm. rollout. Yeah, I apparently must have missed that story entirely. Yeah, it's definitely nice for Fios customers, or at least if you can afford those kind of speeds. But Yes, and we want to stay with Hardwire because our next story talks about how Wi-Fi is, how Wi-Fi is making trees sick. You know, it makes me kind of wonder if this is why our tree in the backyard still has all of its leaves while all the neighbor's trees have lost all their leaves because maybe my Wi-Fi is kind of right in the direct path of my tree. So, yeah, apparently there's a new study that's showing that Wi-Fi is making trees in urban areas sick. Yeah, this is a strange story because Wi-Fi is radio waves. Radio waves are everywhere, um, from radio stations to televisions to cell phones. Uh, and it'd be kind of curious to see why Wi-Fi especially is causing problems with trees. Um, they, they, they make sure to make it clear in this article that these are preliminary results and they're doing further testing, but uh, that is scary to, to, to hear that 
it could actually be killing trees because you're wondering what is it doing to the people who uh, live around Wi-Fi. Yeah, I I really kind of question this. I mean, uh, whenever I go around areas that have like great big radio towers or whatever, I don't notice that the trees around there are sick by any means, and those are hundreds of times more powerful than mm-hmm. my little Wi-Fi router. Which I don't know. I I've heard that there was a I think there was like a study done a couple of years ago saying that people who sleep near their Wi-Fi routers don't get as good of night's sleep as people who don't, which I don't know if there's any truth to that. I, I don't know. Maybe I think it was that, uh, sleeping next to your cell phone. It might have been the Wi-Fi router also, actually. I think there may have been one for cell phone. The one I'm thinking of is for the Wi-Fi router, because I remember cause the fact that I keep my Wi-Fi router on the headboard of my bed. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe that's why some nights I don't sleep well and I don't know, but I'm, I don't know. It, this just seems like kind of a strange story. I mean, there's, I, I'm usually lucky if I can get a Wi-Fi signal outside my house. So how it could be affecting the trees around the house, I just don't. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, and also um, in this article, uh, they're specifically using. Uh, let's see what type of tree? It's one type of tree. So it could be just a just uh, a certain species that might be prone to it, and the other ones aren't. Yeah, tw- they use twenty different ash trees, ash and, trees, yeah. and they expose them to various levels of radiation over a period of three months. And apparently, the trees placed closest to the Wi-Fi radio demonstrated lead-like sheen on the leaves that caused that were that apparently caused dying of part of the leaves. Right. And epidermis, I think it said also. So. Yeah, and apparently it'll also stunt the growth of corn cobs. Which, yeah. how they would know that, I don't know. I don't really see... I mean, we got a lot of farmers around here, and I never see any Wi-Fi hotspots sitting in the middle <laughs> of the, the cornfields, but I don't know. I guess you have to have something to do while you're running the tractor. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's... That's interesting um, why Wi-Fi would be in places where there are trees. You know, I guess public parks would be one. But generally speaking, they're fairly rare around uh, outdoorsy places, at least around here in Austin. Mostly you get Wi-Fi in cafes and lobbies of buildings, but we don't have a lot of outdoor Wi-Fi here for the public. Yeah, we don't have any outdoor stuff here. I I've noticed that there's getting to be a lot of people around here that have Wi-Fi. I haven't done it in a couple of months, but one of my favorite hobbies is war driving. So there's a lot of times where I'll throw my laptop in the seat next to me and just go driving around town scanning for wireless networks. And even just from my house, it used to be I used to be the only wireless access point. But as of earlier this year, there's like, I can now detect like four other access points around here. Which... Oh, okay. Well, uh, sounds like I guess this is an important study because things uh, Wi-Fi is growing, um, and then there was the talk of uh, what was that Super Wi-Fi? I forget what it was called. That um, that the that they're using uh, television waves, like the the white space. Yeah. 
Um, I wonder if that will have the same effect, too, um, as this regular consumer-based Wi-Fi that we have right now. Considering that used to be used by television and that didn't seem to have any effects, I wouldn't think so, but I'm not sure. Um, there seems to be quite a bit of rustling on your mic. So oh, a lot of noise. Uh, my rustling. hitting it, actually. <laughs> um, yeah. Let me put it towards the front. Uh, I wasn't sure if Sorry about it. you were out in the wind or what was going on there. Nope, nope, just need a haircut. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, sounds a lot better now. But, anyway, speaking of, like, TV and stuff like that, or using Wi-Fi, apparently Netflix now has a streaming-only plan for the U.S. Right. All, and- although, as an unfortunate consequence, DVD prices are going up. But the funny part is their streaming price is exactly the same as Hulu's, uh, Hulu Plus's price. So uh, I don't know if that they see themselves as direct competitors, but um, they price it, I'm guessing, with Hulu Plus in mind. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm guessing they probably let Hulu do all the um, big thinking behind a price point or whatever and said, oh, you're going to go with $8? Well, we've got a larger library. We'll go with $8 too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I found that kind of interesting. I, I would have figured that it would have been like 10 bucks a month or something like that. But just given the fact that they have a much larger library of stuff than Hulu does. Yeah, and raising the prices of their DVD subscriptions, I guess, is an incentive to push people towards a stream-only plan. Uh, they're obviously recognizing that the DVD portion of their business is going to be diminishing over time. So uh, this is also a little incentive of making sure that people that they push their customers uh, to where they're getting the most revenue. Yeah, I think I'm probably going to switch myself over to a streaming-only plan because that's pretty much all I do anymore is just streaming Netflix to like my Xbox or whatever because I was looking, and I think actually I think I even put that in this post because this is a post at Global Geek News, was that the last DVD, or I I think it might even be a Blu-ray movie that I got from Netflix, I got back on... August 15th of 2009. It's still sitting here right next to me, not a foot from me, underneath my TV. I just haven't sent it back yet because all I ever use is the streaming. Yet I'm paying... Well, I got an email from Netflix today. I think they said that my I would be going from like twelve ninety nine a month up to... Or no, ten ninety nine a month up to eleven ninety nine a month because I get the um, Blu-ray package. Okay. Which is essentially the one DVD at a time, but I pay what is it like an extra two dollars a month more, so that way I can get Blu-ray movies. Blu-ray. Yeah, I'm on the same plan uh, without Blu-ray. Um, so mine went from eight ninety nine to nine ninety nine, which is ten bucks a month. Which I, I mean, I still see it's worth it, and I get probably a DVD every three weeks, so um, it's worth it. Uh, I use streaming more, more than anything else, but. Uh, their streaming catalog is still not as diverse as uh, as their DVD catalog, especially for movies that were released this year. If you ever scroll down that list uh, mm-hmm. and look at 2010, the 2010 list is one page, mm-hmm. uh, all of them listed. So um, they, that's something that I hope that they're working on uh, bolstering 
Um, the the content deal that they made uh, was it last week uh, or two weeks ago uh, is uh, with the movie studio release house or whatever. Um, I, I think that's good, but we still need to they need to get on par with at least if they're not going to have everything when it's out. I'm fine with that, but as long as they have everything eventually. So I don't care if I have to wait four months, five months, six months. Uh, as long as it eventually gets to streaming, I think I'd be fine with that. Yeah, see, what I hate is a lot of the movies that they have available for streaming, they're only available for a set period of time, which I assume is just whatever they've negotiated with the um, movie producers. Mm-hmm. As to where you'll have a movie... I, I For example, um, uh, War Games. I started watching it and never did finish it it was on there for i don't know how long but then was it that the they took it off of there at the end of october on like october 30th or whatever and that seems to be quite common is after a movie's been on there for x number of months they'll just take it off and i find that to be really annoying because there's it's like Mm -hmm. okay why are you taking away movies i want more movies not less yeah, and that sucks for people, sorry, digressing to Hulu Plus, that there's some streaming uh, programs that are available on Hulu, but not available on Hulu Plus because of agreements like that. Um, and it's just a shame, to, I mean, because people want consistency. Mm-hmm. Well, and at least with Netflix, um, you can get Netflix on pretty much any platform now. I mean, you can mm-hmm. get... Wii, PS3, Xbox 360, PC, iPad, whatever. Whereas with Hulu Plus, they're still really restricted on where that's available. I think now you can get available on your PS3, at least if you have um, a PlayStation Plus subscription, which is like, which is um, Sony's version of the Xbox Live Gold membership, basically. Mm-hmm. Which, they're $50 a year or whatever. But yeah, for the there's still a lot of places where you can't access Hulu. I last I knew, can you access Hulu on Boxy yet, or is that is that still shut off? I believe they said they're rolling it out later on this this. Uh, they have an agreement. Boxy has an agreement with Hulu, and I think they're saying that it's going to come in a future upgrade. Yeah, well, uh, I think they're making some inroads there. I think they're certainly improving their offering, but. I, at this point, I think Netflix almost has a little bit too much of a lead on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with being rolled into like DVD players and Blu-ray, Blu-ray players and televisions. I mean, Hulu's everywhere. I, I, and sorry, not Hulu. Netflix is everywhere, um, and I think that strategy is paying off. Uh, and I think eventually when we start getting these devices in the homes of some of these content uh, rights holders, uh, they'll say, hey, I would like to have my stuff available on this platform. And they'll see the value and, and, and be a little looser uh, with those restrictions. Yeah, I, I wish the major platforms would be a little bit more interested in user-generated content like podcasts and stuff rather mm-hmm. than just going specifically towards the um, major label stuff. Like, I, mean, 
I would love it if we could get our podcast on the Xbox Live Marketplace or on the PlayStation Network or something like that. That would just be awesome. Yeah. So that's what uh, Google TV is allowing and also Boxy that you mentioned earlier. Uh, we'll see if who catches on. Basically, whoever the winner is is going di- to dictate um, the, the basically the form factor and, and the kind of content that they want to uh, broker to their customers. Yeah. Well, for those that, if you don't have Netflix, you can check out their new pricing structure in the post at globalgeeknews.com, which is, of course, linked to in the show notes. But, um, yeah, basically, the fewer DVDs you have out, the um, less your price is going to increase. So if you just got the one DVD out, it's only going to go up a dollar a month. If you have eight DVDs out, it's going to go up, what is that, like six bucks a month. But, yeah, if you're... I think in most cases, or at least probably for everybody, they sent out emails today saying, hey, your Netflix mm-hmm. subscription is going to go up to X amount. I think it was effective like January 1st or something like that. Yes, yeah, so they said your next billing cycle or January 1st, whatever comes first. Um, but I also think that the price increase on the DVD is to make, uh, for the short-term loss of people migrating to the stream-only service like yourself. Yeah. Well, and of course, you have to kind of make up for people like me who keep their DVDs for a month and a, for a year and a half. So, yeah. Oh, they love you. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I, if I if this was Blockbuster, I was dealing with, I can't even imagine what my late fees would be like at this point. But um, anyway, speaking of content, apparently, according to a high court in the UK. Making available only happens where the server is located. This, of course, dealing with the whole copyright claim that making available is the same thing as infringing copyright. Right. So uh, if, for instance, Microsoft finds someone is is, uh, distributing over the Internet through P2P software or whatever a copy of Windows 7... They can't file suit in Redmond, Washington, or uh, or in somewhere in Seattle. They have to file suit wherever the server lives. So if it's in Germany, they have to file suit in Germany. If it's in uh, if it's in Washington D.C., they have to file suit there. If it's in London, they have to file suit there. You can't file suit in the location where the company is, but where the infringement is actually happening. Yeah, and. This, of course, is just in for affecting the the UK. UK. This doesn't have anything to do with the US. With the US, they have a list of things here as far as specifically relating to copyright and the exclu- and the specific exclusive rights that are held by the copyright holder, such as being able to reproduce a copyrighted work and how they can distribute it and stuff like that. And there's never any specific mention that making available is the same thing as copyright infringement. So this has kind of been something that's really been thrown around quite a bit in copyright lawsuits, especially when like with, for like the RIAA and stuff like that, where you, you can't really necessarily prove any infringement happened because mm-hmm. you can't really tell if anybody has downloaded a file. You can just see it there as to where their excuse has always been, well, they're making it available, so odds are somebody did download it, therefore it's copyright infringement. Mm-hmm. And this basically this UK judge is saying that 
well, maybe that's the case, and this particular case is having to deal with um, something where the rights holders were in the UK, but the file was hosted on a server in Germany. So as far as the judge is concerned, yeah, there may be an issue here, but it's a German issue. It's not something that can be taken care of in the UK. The rights holders would have to go to Germany and work it out with their laws. Yeah, it's kind of a jurisdiction issue. It's it's out of the borders, so it's out of their jurisdiction. Yeah, it, it's one of those more interesting stories. If you're a big fan of following these copyright lawsuits and stuff like I am, it's interesting stuff to know. Especially if you want to um, distribute illegal content to the UK, just make sure you have it hosted on a server in another country. Yeah. Yeah, that'll make it a little bit harder. Yeah. And speaking of jurisdiction, it's kind of put up or shut up time for the U.S. copyright group because the judge in the in D.C. has finally kind of gotten sick of all the delays and everything with the U.S. copyright group wanting to sue, what is it, 16,000 people or whatever. And now it's pretty much, okay, you have to file them. You have to file your lawsuits by... December 6th, or that's it. And if they don't happen to be, fall under the jurisdiction of this judge in D.C., they don't get to be filed. Yeah. Uh, this is seen as a last straw and extreme frust- frustration with the judge in this case. Um, I think uh, originally they wanted to wait five years or so to get all the materials together. Yeah, um, originally... They were supposed to have all their stuff together by July. Then the judge went ahead and said that they could extend it to November 18th. Well, that's okay. come and gone. Now they're wanting another extension of five years, but the judge only gave them until December 6th. Yeah, so so stop what you're doing, give me what you got, and let's see if uh, we can take these uh, to court. Um, so I think... This is very short notice, <laughs> but they've already gotten two extensions, uh, and so they really un- underestimated their timeline, and now uh, their uh, reserve, their uh, uh, revised timeline was five years, which is totally, totally uh, unacceptable. So I think December 6th is uh, very, very just, as in how much time they've already had. Um, but it's going to be rough for to, to scramble and get all of these. So they're going to have to try to cherry-pick them at this point and figure out what, which ones they actually have a ch- chance of winning. Yeah, and I can't recall off the top of my head just what the statute of limitations is on something like copyright infringement to know just how long they could actually push it out to. But basically their whole logic behind this was that if they're only allowed to sue or they're only allowed to acquire the information for behind 28 IP addresses from Time Warner per month, which is, of course, a story we've talked about months ago, then with all the people that they have to sue, it would take them five years to get all that information, so they should have five years to be able to gather all their information and then sue. Which, by that point, who knows what's going to happen to the people that they're going to sue. By that point, half the people that they could be trying to sue could be that could die of a heart attack or something by that point yeah but i think the statute of limitations is at least you know if the items are still in copyright which copyright is what 70 years or something 
Uh, it keeps getting pushed back. Making yeah. off law, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing is nobody wants um, everybody else to that's not Disney to get a hold of the Mickey Mouse copyright and do whatever they want with it, so they just keep shoving back copyright to ridiculous lengths. But yeah. let me th- so that being said, then there is no statute of limitations. Yeah, that's what I'm looking up right now. Uh, it looks like it's a three-year statute of limitations. So if they waited five years to file it, yeah, the whole thing would have to be thrown out. Yeah, especially if the pre- if they haven't been served yet, um, because it might be sent served through an ISP, which they may not have anymore. They could have moved. Yeah. Yeah, it, I clearly this law firm doesn't have a. I don't know if they just don't have a clue what they're doing, or if this is more of a case like what happened in the UK of well, we're just gonna send out all these settlement letters, and then if they don't send us money, we're just not gonna mess with them anymore. Yeah, I think that's it. That they were trying to. Uh find the magic formula of how to get the most amount of money and time is on their side not not anyone else's so the longer time they have the better they have to uh, present a better case and to actually cite other cases that might have settled before then yeah well that's also a little dangerous too because at this point with his all of the um, legal muscle that's kind of trying to help defend these people that have been getting these Things from the U.S. copyright group. I I believe like the EFF has a page where you can find a whole list of lawyers that are willing to help defend for this and right. all kinds of stuff. So by that point, they could have a whole lot of precedents that aren't in their favor said, or they could have certain parts of the copyright law thrown out, and then they would have just wasted a bunch of time and money for nothing. Well, well, not the lawyers. I mean, they get paid by the hour. The longer it lasts, the more they get paid, regardless of the outcome. Yeah. Uh, so time is on their on their side if if you're a lawyer in this case. Yeah. Well, speaking of the lawyers that I was starting to allude to a second ago, mm-hmm. um, there's some lawyers that pretty much kind of started this whole idea of basically sending out these settlement letters and just seeing what people actually send you back in terms of thousands of dollars or whatever. There's this, um, a law firm called Daniel or Davenport Lions in the UK that basically they were before ACS Law in the UK, which is now the one that's having all kinds of trouble doing this kind of business model and are about to go out of business because of it. But apparently they were sending out these settlement letters with no intention of ever suing anybody. They never sued a single person, yet they sent out like thousands of these letters or whatever, and they just pretty much sat back and received money, knowing full well that all they have are IP addresses. There's nothing to identify that this IP address is tied to a specific person or anything. I mean, you have the whole open Wi-Fi issue. Anybody could be using the Wi-Fi to be on that IP address or whatever. So... They basically are now getting into trouble because people sent them all this money and there's no way to prove that they ever necessarily even did anything. Yeah, it was more of a business scheme rather than, uh, you know, money making. It was a money making scheme rather than actually trying to actually defend their clients 
and making sure that their property was kept secure. Uh, so this tactic was was pioneered by them. They're like, hey, there's this huge cash cow that we're not taking advantage of. And I think that mentality uh, is going to be exposed, and this is the reason why they're in hot water. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that this ends up happening soon with, like, the U.S. copyright group and stuff. Because, I don't know, I've heard different stories since then, but originally the story was that, well, they were sending out all these 16,000 settlement letters or whatever, but had no, but since they were sending them out in such a huge mass, there was no way they could ever take these cases to trial. It was just a case of, well, we'll send out these letters and see who sends us back some money. And so I'm kind of hoping that they're going to get into this same problem here because if they're just sitting here pushing back these deadlines over and over again, I'm guessing they really don't have much of anything, and they really have no desire to go to court. So I've got a feeling that this might be coming down the road for them, or at least I hope so. Yeah, that's just like legalized blackmail at that point, if that mm-hmm. was their, their plan. Yeah, it, it's just wrong. Mm-hmm. But speaking of things that aren't wrong, apparently the Beatles are now on iTunes. Yeah, um, this was a huge announcement for some people, a huge snore snore for others, um, but uh, it's been long anticipated, but Apple now has all of the Apple's uh, music in iTunes, even the uh, UK variations before uh, their US releases. They have both versions available on iTunes. Yeah, as much hoopla as this got, this isn't actually the first time that the Beatles music has gone digital. Of course, there's the Beatles rock band that came out, what was it, earlier this year, I think? I think it yep. came out like the beginning of the year, a story mm-hmm. you could play Beatles songs on rock band, and, that, and that's really the first time that their music has legally gone digital. I mean, everybody's been ripping their Beatles CDs and stuff for years just because you have... For all these years, you haven't been able to get Beatles music on iTunes or Amazon's MP3 store or the Zune Marketplace or whatever. And from my understanding, or from a couple of posts that I've read, this is supposed to be an exclusive deal where at least through the end of the year, nobody else can get the licenses for the iTunes or for the Beatles catalog to, say, put on Amazon or on the Zune Marketplace or whatever. This is like an iTunes exclusive, at least for now. Yeah, I haven't heard of that, uh, the exclusive for iTunes, um, but it has not been released on in any other uh, digital digital marketplaces that I know of. Um, but the other digital releases, they did release all their albums on USB earlier this year also. So uh, this is probably one of those writing-on-the-wall kind of things that everyone's going this way, and eventually all of the stragglers are going to be available for digital download. Yeah, I'm guessing we'll probably, um, at least based on the things that I've read, I would say we'll start seeing the Beatles showing up on other services probably around the beginning of the year or at least the first half of next year. That That's just based on what I've heard as far as like an exclusivity deal. But for those that are Beatles fans, I am not among those people. But if you want to get the entire Beatles collection, it's $149 on iTunes, and of course that has all the A and B sides ever recorded, plus iTunes LP content, which has like mini documentaries, 
from albums, there's photos, there's notes, there's videos from like the band's first U.S. concert, all kinds of different stuff. So I guess for 150 bucks, it's not too bad. Or or you can buy individual songs. I think they're like a dollar twenty nine or something like that. Yeah, I wonder if there's a special revenue split um, that they negotiated with the Beatles uh, that's different from their other artists. I, I bet there was some sort of side deal. That's why they had to do a, a press release and an event for it. I would assume so as well. I, I would think that there's got to be... To get something like the Beatles, there's got to be some kind of a special revenue thing going on there. I, I don't know. I'm kind of curious to know just how much the record companies still have their hands in the Beatles catalog. I mean, when you have somebody that's still producing music, say like a Taylor Swift or something like that, mm-hmm. they're still they're going to get a large cut. They're going to still have a lot of control. But when you have something like the Beatles, where they haven't produced anything in decades, I, I would think that they would actually be getting a much larger share just due to that fact. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I've got a feeling that Paul McCartney is going to get really rich. And Yoko. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, speaking of Apple, apparently they were having plans to do a little bit of building in their own SIM card into the iPhone, which has apparently made carriers across Europe go absolutely crazy. Yeah, um, I don't see what the big deal is. Uh, it just makes, to, to me, it makes things easier for the carriers because they don't have to keep inventory of SIM cards. Um, they said that uh, it would make easier make it easier for people to switch carriers, but that's just the equipment. But if they're GSM anyway, then it's always been easy to switch by replacing the SIM card. Um, go ahead. Yeah, essentially they're... Building in, they're wanting to build in these SIM cards, and there's a whole movement around this of being that there should be some like requirements and actually bringing products to market with this whole built-in um, SIM technology by 2012, or as to where you can be able to have these SIMs and things like MP3 players, cameras, e-readers, or whatever to make um, to give your all your devices internet connections, but. Yeah, the the whole thing, it, it seems like there's just basically, we don't want other companies to be able to try and steal our customers real easy. We want to actually have to deal with the customers face-to-face for them to buy phones or whatever. And it, it seems like one of those crazy things, kind of like they're clinging on to an old business model that they know is dying, kind of like the record industry. Yeah, but when you think about the Apple stores, people go to the Apple store and they buy an iPhone. They're not dealing with AT&T or whoever the GSM provider is in that in that country. So theoretically, it's not really that different by having it embedded in the phone. And see, what's going on here is, well, there's basically all these carriers are saying that they're not saying that they're not going to carry the phone. They're just not going to subsidize the phone. Right. But essentially what they're – it doesn't say it in the article, but what the real issue is is they want the foot traffic into their stores for when oh, people yeah. come to buy this, 
the phones and stuff so they can upsell them on plans they can sell them cases they can do mm-hmm. all kinds of other stuff that's what they're upset about they they yeah. want that opportunity to try and sell more to the customer that they probably don't need to begin with yeah the money's in the accessories so yeah that totally does make sense yeah and if apple or anybody else is denying them that opportunity then they're going to get upset mm-hmm. so in response to this apple is backing away from the plan, but I've got a feeling that eventually it'll get switched to this built-in SIM technology. Well, this built-in SIM technology is a standard, so in 2012, it's supposed to be rolled out on multiple phones, and so it's not like the iPhone uh, is, or was going to be the only one that'll have this technology, but I guess it's the highest profile one. See, I'm wondering how big of a pain it would be to switch phones based if you're dealing with this kind of technology because whenever i've had to switch phones and maybe this is just a whole sprint nextel thing i don't know or maybe it's because i went from like a um a feature phone to a blackberry and then to an android phone or whatever but Mm -hmm. there there was always this procedure of switching using some kind of their specialized little sim card reader or whatever for transferring information from one SIM card on one phone to another on another phone. And in most cases, they had to pull out the SIM card to do that. I'm wondering if maybe that could be part of the issue in that they're not wanting to deal with um, having to come up with new technologies for transferring all this contact information, everything from one phone to the next. Well, they wouldn't have to because uh, this is going to be a standard. So they're, So since we're assuming that this is going to be a multiple phones, the standard of transferring the data will be standardized against all carriers. So what, what works for one phone will work for all phones, and what procedures they, any procedures they have to do for migration would be standardized. So it'll be off-the-shelf turnkey products for software and hardware that needs to interface with this. Well, that, that would certainly be nice, but from my understanding when I've got my Android phone or whatever, like the mm-hmm. SIM card for my BlackBerry wasn't compatible with android and from what the way they tried to explain it which i really don't think the girl had a clue what (laughs) she was talking about for the most part of anything anyway but was that basically blackberry does their cards with their operating system in a different way than android interacts with cards from with its operating system Mm -hmm. so having a so you'd have to have all these companies that are making like the operating systems get on board to do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how much like a, a RIM or the open handset Alliance or Microsoft or whatever is really going to want to get on board with this particular standard. Well, if they want to get FCC approval, then they would have to get on board with that standard um, because uh, it's a communication protocol that has to be approved by the FCC. Um, and, as in different cards, I know that several different cards can take different voltages mm-hmm. and have different capacities for the cards. Uh, so that could be a problem that you run into. Um, but once again, once we get to a standard where this is built into the phone, that shouldn't be a problem because that's non-removable. So they all should have the prog- be able to be uh, programmed uh, for any network. Yeah, I'm just not sure how much I necessarily I'm gonna would want this. I mean, yeah, it would be nice to have internet connection at all times on my PSP or or mm-hmm. my DS or my laptops or whatever. But 
one, I don't want to have to pay their insane $60 a month for each device for to do that. And two, when you put something like that in all these regular devices, I mean, that's... If you thought the iPhone on AT&T was bad, imagine what you'd would happen if all your devices were connected to AT&T. And that that would just be a bit of a nightmare. Right, but uh, think about all the things that it could be embedded in to make your life easier, you know, like your car. Uh, you don't want to have to go and figure out, you know, who do you want to have service for your car and get it in drive and get the chip put in. And instead, what if you got your brand new car, you took it home, turned it on, the GPS nav- navigation, uh, the the GPS navigation screen comes up and says, "Hey, would you like live maps from Google? Um, we, it, you can choose to pay this from Sprint, this from AT and T, and you just press a button, and then you you sign your contract and you're online. I mean, that could make things so much easier. That would certainly be nice, but I I think if uh, Secretary of Transportation Ray LaHood has his way. I don't think we'll even have GPS systems in our cars much longer. Oh, yes. This is kind of transitioning into our next story, which I didn't realize, actually. Um, that... uh, I thought that's what you were setting me up for, so I just went. <laughs> uh, that, that, uh, that the U.S. Um, is looking to possibly disable cell phones in cars, which means having cell phone jammers installed. Yeah, th- this. I really don't see how they can do this. I mean where this rail hood gets his like, crazy ideas from anyway, I don't have a clue. Uh, that's but, stupid. Yeah, I mean, why would you want these cell phone jammers in the cars? I mean, what if you had an emergency? What if you need to call and say, oh, hey, there's a crazy drunk driver out here. Come arrest him or whatever. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, you, there's times when you just kind of have to have a phone in a car. And yeah, you shouldn't necessarily be talking on the phone. And yeah, I have and possibly still am contemplating getting a cell phone jammer just to disconnect the people around me just for the sake of pissing them off. Mm-hmm. But um, that doesn't mean that you should just remove all phones and everything from vehicles. And just like you're saying that uh, you're thinking about getting one just to disconnect the people around you. If you think of every car in the United States having this technology and realizing that the border of this jamming is not confined to inside the cabin of a car, um, if you think you have reception problems now, it's going to be horrible. Yeah, and that is exactly why these cell phone jamming devices are illegal and must be imported from other countries. Because... The FCC is, it's like, as far as they're concerned, no, you can't do these because it screws with the spectrum that we've specifically sold the companies and whatever. And all they're concerned about is keeping the spectrum and everything the way it should be. So I think that Ray LaHood would be running into a lot of interference from the FCC if he even tried to do something like this, considering the fact that purchasing or owning or anything one of these devices is illegal yeah this is like when a group of friends are together and they're just talking 
and one of them, one person says something stupid, <laughs> and it kind of kills the conversation. This is the exact same kind of idea, but it's written written form and and <laughs> and being presented by the U.S. government, which I, is just jaw dropping. Yeah, I, this this is kind of I'm almost kind of hoping that this Ray Hood kind of pushes this more, just because I would love to see him and the FCC fight it out. Yeah. Last I knew, the FCC was given fits over prisons that wanted to install cell phone jammers so that prisoners couldn't use cell phones. Yeah. So. I mean, you you got to think that this is an April first story more than a more than a, a, a November twenty second story. That's it's just it just it just takes two seconds of thought to realize how stupid this is. Yeah, I know here in the. U.S., like I said, these are very much illegal, but there are other countries where cell phone jammers aren't so illegal. I know there's um, movie theaters in Mexico that have cell phone jammers installed because they don't want people texting and stuff during a movie. So, I don't know. I wouldn't mind seeing this in some particular cases. Driving is not one of them. Movie theaters... Sure, by all means, stick them in the movie theaters. I don't care. Uh-huh. Just because just I'm tired of seeing these little screens light up down in front of the big screen. But, yeah, this is one of those horrible, horrible half-baked ideas. Right. And speaking of screens, uh, it seems that Americans and Japanese watch a lot of the small screen, which is television. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by this. I don't know, maybe it's just the fact that I don't know that much about Japanese culture or whatever, but I really didn't think that they would be on par with us when it came to when it comes to watching the most TV, which yeah, is that's about twenty one hours per week. Yeah, yeah. The U.S. and Japan average twenty hours twenty one hours a week. The South Koreans watch the least amount of TV at just thirteen hours a week. I, I don't know. The twenty hours a week seems a little high to me. Not too bad, but a little bit. I well, you've got to you've got to remember there's a lot of people who watch football, and that's not a short program. Yeah, so you're looking at three hours there, but 21 hours a week, you're looking at three hours a day, and I don't know too many people that actually watch three hours a day worth of TV. Maybe in the yeah. evenings, but I don't know. But certainly, an interesting um, study as far as like how much people watch TV, whether um, how they get their TV, whether they're using subscription services or they, they're getting it over the air, which apparently people that can get subscription services is only like 57% of the world, whereas only 67% can get even over-the-air content, which I'm kind of surprised that it's only 67%. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, maybe if you're talking about like the in the middle of the Amazon rainforest or something like that, I can understand you not getting TV reception. But, I don't know, I'm wondering if, I want to know if that actually has gone down, at least in the U.S., ever since the whole digital TV transition. Yeah, Yeah. because there's, I know like at my grandparents' house, there's some channels that they can't get now, and I know there's like, around here, there's dead spots that analog used to be able to get to. But you can't get it with digital now, so I'm kind of curious to know if that number has dropped at all. I'm guessing it has, because a lot of that signal has gone directional, in which you have to point your your antenna directly at the signal source, and uh, some of the power has been reduced on some of those, uh, so they don't 
they don't go as far as they used to. Um, and also, uh, in the story, they're talking about people um, spending time on, uh, watching TV. I wonder what they mean watching. Do they mean actually actively engaged in what's going on or having the TV on? Because I know of a lot of people who turn on the TV and they just leave it on as background noise for, for the most part and not necessarily uh, are actively watching it. Yeah, I mean, just right now as we're talking, I've got uh, WWE Raw on in the background that I just glance up at every little bit. And it's not like I'm actively watching. I don't have the volume on to have any clue of really what's going on. It's just kind of on in the background. And I certainly wouldn't consider that watching TV. Right. But I wonder in the case of the study if they did. Yeah. That, again, I'm not a big fan of a lot of studies. The stuff that usually comes out of the Pew Internet and American Life Project, they usually seem to do a decent job. But studies like this, they leave some gray areas that make you really wonder what the actual just what their methodologies was for the study yeah and it's funny how this was uh done by motorola which you're which i'm wondering what is their motivation for even researching something like this yeah i don't know one of the interesting things that they had in this um study saying that 75 percent of people around the globe own an hd tv or plan to in the next 18 months that's kind of surprising that, that seems like a really high percentage to me. Yeah, that is very high. Especially since um, when you're talking about the digital conversion, uh, we were one of, I think Australia was one of the first ones, and then we followed suit not too long. But uh, not all the rollout or, or the planned rollout is complete around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know there's still quite a few countries that have analog TVs. I know there's been a number that have... Um, made the switch i think like ireland and stuff has made the switch or maybe it's just the uk that's made the switch but yeah i i'm that i don't know if that's just because of the fact that pretty much all you've been able to buy is hdv hd tvs in the past few years if that's because of the transition or why that's so high i know in my house i've got two hd tvs which that's 50% 50% of the TVs in my house, I only use one of them because the other one is a Samsung with speakers that are absolute crap. Mm. But, um, yeah, that, that that seems a little high because I still know a lot of people that only have standard deaf TVs and they've just got them hooked up to converter boxes. Yeah, this is, it's, it's amazing how quickly uh, it has taken over the world. Yeah, I, I, I've. This is surprising. I, I've got a feeling that this is kind of bad news for the manufacturers that are pushing 3D TV. Because if everybody's in the past couple of years has upgraded to an HD TV, they're not going to go out and want to spend two grand or three grand or four grand or whatever on a 3D TV, at least for the next five years. Yeah, yeah, I agree. People are probably going to keep their TVs for at least five, five to six years. Um, before they are willing to, to shell out that kind of money. Um, because most, most HD TVs are pretty good size, so it's not like people will upgrade because of the size. And I don't think uh, 3D is compelling enough for people to upgrade. Yeah, and, and considering the fact that there's extremely little 3D content anyway, mm-hmm. there's not really much of a reason. I think there's like a 3D ESPN channel and maybe a couple other channels or whatever, but there's nothing really yet in terms of content that's out there you don't you, 
you can't get your CSI in 3D or anything like that. So I don't know. It, I just see no compelling reason to get 3D TV at all. But right, and good. Yeah, the way I've always been is I use a TV until it craps out. When it craps out, I buy a new TV. Otherwise, there's no reason to get a new TV. Yeah, or for some reason you give a you gift a TV to a friend and you then use that as an excuse to upgrade your own. Um, yeah, the 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 barrier of entry of replacing a television is pretty high. Yeah, and, and of course you have. Sometimes you'll just maybe find a really good sale, like we have Black Friday coming up this week. Which, mm-hmm. if anybody is looking to see what all the ads are, I recommend a site called bfads.net. I've used it for many years, and they always seem to be the best when it comes to having all the ads, whether they've been leaked or whatever, which I think pretty much all the ads are out now. Yeah, I always, I never understood why they waited so long, or why they usually wait long to publish those ads. Yeah, it, it uh, seems I like mean, they've really changed that this year. It's like last year they waited until the last minute, and if they leaked out before, of course, all the cease and desists and takedown notices went flying out, especially from Walmart more than anybody else. Now this year, it's like everybody's released their ads a couple weeks early. It's like, okay, what the heck happened here? Yeah. I mean, let me know what's on sale so I can go to your your store and buy it. Yeah, that's kind of the way I've always been. I've always been one to plan out my Black Friday shopping at least two weeks in advance, preferably. And now they've kind of made that a little bit easier this time, which is kind of nice. But and it uh, looks like the Internet's making it easier for debt collectors to find you on Facebook. Yeah, I have to fly through this story. We are running a little late, but that's okay. Um, apparently, debt collectors have realized now that if you owe them money or you owe somebody money, they can track you down on Facebook and use it to harass your friends, your family, your associates, whatever, to get them to try and get you to pay your bills. Yeah, and this came about because someone's being someone is suing uh, was this uh, Mark One Financial for for doing such a thing. They contacted uh, their their relatives and basically embarrassed them over the internet, which is in a way kind of like cyberbullying. Yeah, I, that, speaking of cyberbullying, there's a story on the local news this afternoon on their website where apparently. There's a teen in Aspen, Colorado, or whatever, that was cyberbullying some other kid, and now they are not allowed to even say anything about the person that they were bullying on Twitter and Facebook and whatever up until their court hearing date or whatever, because they already got a bunch of cyberbullying charges and whatever. But yeah, this is essentially cyberbullying for adults. Yeah. Um which is, you know, a shame that someone has outstanding debts. Um, but uh, yeah, and in, in this particular case, apparently the lady had gotten had gotten sick, and she had to take time off of work, and as a consequence, ended up falling behind on her car payments, and that's what started this whole thing. Yeah, and unfortunately, with the economy, there's probably a lot of people that are in this situation. Um, but you know, go ahead and use Facebook to contact her. Uh, reaching out to her relatives, I think that's just out of bounds and uncalled for. Yeah, I I know there's getting to be a lot of companies or 
a lot of legal issues as far as Facebook goes, as far as, I don't, I don't know how much here in the U.S. I know I've heard about it in other countries where people get served like court papers via Facebook or all kinds of stuff like that. So this certainly doesn't surprise me. But to go around and I mean, if they were just posting something on this lady's wall, hey, pay your bill, that's one thing. But to go to their sister's Facebook page and say, mm-hmm. hey, tell your sister to pay her car bill, that mm-hmm. that seems to be a little much. Yeah. And also, keep in mind, don't friend people you don't know. Yeah, that, that's... Yeah, make sure to crank your privacy settings up and then just don't friend people you don't know. That That's kind of the way I do it. There's some people that I've friended that I don't necessarily know in person. That it, It's just maybe they're like other podcasters or something that I've never actually met them or whatever. But generally speaking, if I've friended somebody, it's because they're either friends or family. I don't friend random random strangers that's what twitter's for yes (laughs) which is why i have what is it seven thousand plus followers now between at global geek news and at pc nerd 37 so yeah i'm doing okay on there could always use more though so make sure to follow at global geek news which is the official global geek news twitter account or at pc nerd 37 which is my personal account and and don't forget, you can also follow Wesley, who is at Wesley83. You only have one account, right? Yep, just the one. Yeah, I've got mm, three, one of which I never, I don't give out. But, um, yeah, don't forget to follow all of us there. And, of course, don't forget to check out globalgeeknews.com for cool news, tips, whatever I happen to find and post throughout the week. I've gotten to the point where now I'm trying to post like something at least twice a day or whatever. Which is, it's kind of nice to have fresh content all the time instead of the only content being a new podcast every week. Mm-hmm. Very good. It's doing wonders for our traffic, too. Unfortunately, nobody that's coming to our site is clicking on ads, so I'm still not making a penny. Anyway, um, don't forget to share your... Um, Thoughts about the show or about Global Geek News with us, you can either stick them in the comments, you can shoot us an email at globalgeeknews at gmail.com. Don't forget to tell your friends, your family, everybody else that you come into contact with to subscribe to the show. We're always looking for new listeners to the show, new people to help participate in the show. We love getting your feedback. And, of course, if you really love the show, we would really appreciate it if you helped us out with donations, whether it's um, just $5 a month, like there's a link in the show notes, or just go to the donations page and you can donate a specific amount. You want to donate a million bucks? Hey, that's fine with us. And, of course, any amount over 100 bucks will get you a free Global Geek News t-shirt. And I think that's uh, pretty much it. I think I covered everything. I always forget something, but hopefully... I just I wanted to... Sorry, go ahead. I said hopefully I covered everything. I just wanted to quickly mention that uh, iOS 4.2 is out for the iPad, and if you have an iPad, be wary that um, it converts the screen lock switch to a mute button, and uh, there's a lot of people who did not know that, and of course you know that you can't revert back, at least not right now, so be wary of that update. Yeah, that'd be a little annoying. I also heard that that update was like 552 megs or something like that for the iPad. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, that that, that seems to be quite a bit for a firmware update or whatever, or an operating system update for a device like that. 
but I don't know. I haven't looked to see what it um, weighs in at for the iPod Touch, the iPhone, but that just seems a little high to me. I'm, I'm wondering how much of that counts against your space for like storing videos and stuff on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no idea. Anyway, I guess that is it for this week. Um, wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving and a safe Black Friday. Try not to get trampled. Right. And we will see you guys next week. Cyber Monday. Yes, we will be here for Cyber Monday. We celebrate by podcasting. <laughs> see you guys next week. All right. La- later. later.